Tonight's New Testament reading comes from the Gospel of Mark and the Gospel of Matthew. Mark 1, 35 through 39. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let us go to the next towns that I may preach there also. For that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. Mark four thirty-five through 38. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Matthew twelve forty six through 50. While he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside, asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Matthew twenty-six thirty-six through 38 Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. This is the word of the Lord. Would you please join me as we pray? Father, we're so thankful to you that you are a God who wants to make himself known. All these ideas uh, that we're told that you're hiding somewhere, it's just foolishness. You've made yourself known through the songs and the words and the prayers. And we now pray that you would help us to see your son. In Christ's name, amen. We have been in a series studying the humanity of Jesus Christ. The Christian faith teaches that Jesus Christ is God-man. He has divine nature, human nature, and we're focusing on that second part. We're going to do that for just a couple more weeks before we conclude. And last week, we talked about an aspect of Jesus' humanity being that he actually grew, and he grew in faith. And by faith, what I mean is trust confidence in God. And I think that might be a good summary of the life and the ministry of Jesus. Trust confidence in God. And what was included in that? Well, I think fundamentally it meant this. Jesus knew that God was truly and personally his father. He believed in the unwavering, unconditional love of God for him. He understood that he himself was honored and precious in the sight of God. 
that he was valuable to God, that he was fully accepted, and that he was swept up in the purposes of God. How do you think that knowledge would change you? How do you think that knowledge would change us? If you, you and I came to know Jesus, or rather, you and I came to know God like Jesus knew God. I, I believe it would be an amazing transformation. Transformation on our self-identity, who we understand ourselves to be. Transformation on our insecurity. Transformation on our anxiety. How we behave in relationships, how we react and respond. Even how we set boundaries and how we make priorities. And that's where I want to spend our final two weeks, looking at the idea tonight of how Jesus set boundaries as a human person. Now, I want you to imagine for a second that uh, you have a friend who's raising chickens. Now, that's not too far afield now in the district. In fact, I'm curious, does anybody have someone that, okay, there's one hand, two yeah, you know, this is a bit of a controversy, the chicken controversy. But, um, but imagine you go to visit this friend and you say, how are you doing? And they say, to be honest with you, I'm stressed out and I'm exhausted because of these chickens. I mean, a couple weeks ago, this chicken went in my neighbor's garden. Last week, this chicken was found on the street. Uh, this week, a fox came up and just took this chicken away. And you sort of look around and say, have you thought of chicken wire? Have you thought of a fence? And they look at you as if you're genius. That's amazing. I have to wonder if that's somehow how God sees us. You know, here we are running after all these things, stressing out. We're over here. We're over there. And he looks down and says, have you thought about a fence? Have you thought about some boundaries? And that's really what I mean by boundaries. How do you learn to establish a fence around your duties and responsibilities, not for the purpose of selfishness, not for the purpose of control, but for the purpose of love and the purpose of faithfulness to God? Now, let's just say from the onset, this is not an easy task. In the day we live, I was driving this past week and I went by a business and they had a big banner up that said, now open seven days a week. We see that as something to celebrate, that the sun never goes down on our work. How many of you were happy that we had a snow day this past week? I mean, I was praying for that snow day. What a blessing when God invades our life. It's not easy because we're connected to everything. And everyone, it's not easy, especially if you live in an urban context. It's not easy in this city. I love to ask people that are new to D.C., what are your first impressions? And nearly every time they say, man, people are really kind of uptight and busy here, aren't they? We get in it and we don't think about it. Some years ago, I read a book by Richard Swenson called Margins. Uh, He was an associate professor at the University of Wisconsin. Now he says that he does cultural medicine. And this past week, uh, one of our staff members sent me a quote from him, and it reminded me of the book. Listen to what he says. We need to create buffers and fortify them, carve out some space between our load 
and our limits. Don't be chronically overloaded, overcommitted, and overwhelmed. Give ourselves space to rest, room to breathe, freedom to move, time to adapt, and money to spare. And only then will we be able to nourish our relationships. Only then will we truly be available and interruptible for the purposes of God. It's that last part that we're interested in. Um, Now, there are a few challenges we face, though. One, I'll say, is self-inflicted, overcommitted. And this really goes back to the root sin of the first man and woman in the Garden of Eden, when they believed they could be like gods. That's essentially what drives our overcommittedness. Last week, I happened to be with one of my daughters on a road trip in uh, we started listening to, uh, she had this like Broadway playlist and the song Defying Gravity from Wicked came on. And if you know that song, it starts off where she says, limitless, limitless. You know, this is really the uh, American dream, right? That we can be without limits. The late Eugene Peterson said, if you're overcommitted and busy, it's probably because of one of two reasons. The first is you're lazy. And so you let other people set your priorities. Or the second one is self-importance. You know, you think that you really have to be involved in everything. So the first thing is self-inflicted. I would say the second thing is inflicted by other people. It's oppression. Those that would violate our boundaries against our own will and force. Maybe it's an unjust boss. Maybe it's an overbearing family member, overbearing friend. Maybe it's an abuser. But lastly, I think we also have to reckon with this. Just the day and age that we live in. It's a fool's dream to think that what Dr. Swenson describes means that I can just sort of cruise like that all the time. Because we live in what theologians call the already not yet. You know what that means? You're supposed to go to bed tired. Work is still a curse. Now God gave us the Sabbath so it wouldn't run over us. But we're going to be tired. Uh, Jesus, it was said... Uh, He didn't have a busy heart, but he was busy. So how do we sort of wrap all this together? When you look at Jesus, you see this interesting combination. On the one hand, in his divine nature, he's limitless with respect to power, right? With respect to ability, with respect to knowledge. We heard he calmed the sea. Yet at the same time, he didn't quiet every sea, and he didn't near heal everybody. Why? Because he decided to be human. He decided to be like you and I. And so he actually set boundaries. And I observed this in four different ways. That's what that sort of ragtag collection of passages was. You might have been wondering, what is that all about? I want to point out to you briefly, in the time we have, four ways that Jesus observed boundaries. And so we might observe boundaries. The first thing is that Jesus embraced physical boundaries. With respect to his own body, while Jesus was the son of God, he did not live as if he was superhuman. He ate, he hydrated, and he power napped, right? That's what we find. He's on a boat. By the way, they discovered one of these boats in 1980, and they can fit about 15 people, but there's room to curl up on a cushion if you need to and take a nap, and that's what he does. He sleeps on a cushion. 
The Son of God needed to nap. Now, I've observed a new shame among D.C. people. It's nap shame. You know, I see it especially on our retreat. We purposely give this long, like, free time. And at the end of it, someone is going to ask you, so what would you do? And you feel this pressure to say, oh, I went on a run. You know, oh, I did this. But, you know, and if you have said, well, yeah, I took a nap, you know. Or maybe, you know, you, you fall asleep, you realize you've got to be somewhere, or you fall asleep in your desk and you get one of those lines. And you're just, if anybody knows how to get rid of those, send me an email. I've, tried, I've, I've actually gone online and read how to get rid of them because that happened to me. You know, I was napping and I was like, oh no, I've got to meet someone in 15 minutes and they're going to be able to tell. We have nap shame. The Son of God did not have nap shame. We don't need, in fact... Both research tells us, the Washingtonian had an article a couple weeks ago called Go to Bed. Research on the brain, maybe some of you have read it, but, you know, uh, lack of sleep contributes to loneliness, social isolation. They think maybe even contributes to Alzheimer's. And so, go to bed. The Bible tells us that sleep is a gift. I'm so grateful for Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds the house... Those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, our city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved naps. He gives to his beloved sleep. All sorts of sleep. Here's a storm, which was common for the Sea of Galilee because of its elevation where it was sweeps in jesus is sleeping like a baby he must have really believed that god loved him he must have really believed god was in charge so he reminds us of embracing physical boundaries but also geographic boundaries it's really wild to me that god comes to earth and uh he really covers limited ground you know, I mean, he could have turned on the divine button, you think, and just sort of went everywhere and saw everybody on the planet. That was his goal. Why didn't he hire a really good Washington scheduler and just get things happening, right? Meeting everybody. God deemed that the Son of God, that Jesus would be local. He would be a local person. And again, that's a hard thing to do, right? We live in an age where literally you can get away anytime. You travel. It's hard to be local. A lot of our relationships are scattered all over the place. If you're someone that is really embedded in social media, that's another sphere of life. All these different things that cause us not to think locally as a local person. In fact, our city, this is one of the curses about D.C., that people have come intentionally not to be local. Right? They come, they see it as a a sort of a launch pad for a career or an after-college experience, but it's not this idea that I'm going to be a local person. Jesus embraced being local. And I think it would bring a lot of relief. I mentioned this once before that that I've seen when I've talked to um, in two different areas. One is when I talk to new graduates of college, and they're trying to discern God's will. Where should I go? And their eyes aren't full of wonder. They're actually paralyzed. Because I could go anywhere. Like, where should I go? 
I could go anywhere. It, it plays into dating too, right? What if my soulmate lives in Singapore? What if my soulmate lives in Buford, Wyoming? You know, I, I, I just don't, I don't know if I should date this person, let alone commit to them. What if, what if? It's, it's hard for us to remember we're local people. We're meant to be local. I got a verse for you. It's an obscure verse, but it's really helped me out. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having, listen, determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. Do you understand that God purposed your boundary? You're here right now. You're not somewhere else. And I think that really gives freedom for you and I. We don't have to be everywhere. In fact, the person who thinks they have to be everywhere is nowhere. They can never be present. This figured big into the vision of our church. We called it theology of place. We early on, uh, the elders on our first retreat, we read a book and a chapter in it was, uh, there was a chapter that said the gift of limits. And from that point, we said, we do not have to be the church of the DMV. Meaning we don't have to be the church for everybody. First of all, that's arrogant. Second of all, it's foolishness. We're one local church, one imperfect expression of what God is doing. Man, I'm so glad. Brings me relief. As a pastor, you have a job, you have a neighborhood, you have a family, you have a circle of friends. You have boundaries. Praise God for them. Second. You're thinking, oh no, second. He's going to do, he's going to do four. The other ones aren't as long. You've also heard that before from preachers. Uh, he established responsibility boundaries. You heard the passage from Mark 1. Jesus wakes up very early to get some time with God. Maybe you can relate to this. He wakes up early just to get that time so he can commune with God. And what happens? It's interrupted. Peter, of all people, right? Gather some people. There's a search party. And it's like, you know, I'm sure Jesus is sitting there and he hears, you know, footsteps and crowd, And then they break through. And Peter basically says, praying? You know, what are you doing? everybody's looking for you. Don't you know you've got responsibilities? Everyone's looking for you. What are you doing here? Now, for some of us, man, that is the trigger button. Because we are just of a personality type where we are responsible, we are loyal, we are a helper, and that's all anybody has to say to us. And I want to set you free by giving you the model of Jesus here. Jesus not only ignores what they said, but then he says, we're going to go to a different city. He not only blows Peter off completely, but he goes, we're going to go over here. And I don't think Jesus was being callous, and I don't think he was being careless. Why? Because he had just been praying. The text emphasizes to us four verbs about Jesus. Rising, departed, went, and prayed. All that to me speaks intentionality. I think the the decision that Jesus made wasn't haphazard. Jesus had prayed with God. And if we know anything about Jesus' prayers, and we do because there's other prayers, it was likely part of the content was affirming that he belonged to God, that he was a beloved son of God, that he served the Lord in freedom, that he served the Lord and not men. And after he got done with that prayer, he was like, you know, We don't need to be here. We need to be somewhere else. 
The same thing's supposed to happen with you and I. You know, if you meet with God and you're able to get those truths, you will find at the end of that that you're going to say yes to some stuff and no to some stuff. You're going to divide out your responsibilities. Uh, uh, Counselor Dan Allender said, if we can't say no, we let the most opinionated people write our story. We can't say no. Now think about it. Jesus did not have a small task. Uh, He had three years to build a global salvation organization. And he didn't have the sharpest knives in the drawer to work with. Right? A bunch of fishermen, people that weren't equipped for it. Uh, Yet he doesn't say, I can't take time away. If anybody should have said, I can't take time away, right? We'd think it'd be Jesus. Now here's the thing. Some of us think it's our job to save everyone. But that was really Jesus' job. He was supposed to save people. That was he supposed to be. But he still called for boundaries. Good news for you. You are not the savior. You are not the mediator. You are not the only one. You are not the fourth member of the Trinity. You know? You're not everybody's answer for helping. You're not everybody's mother. You're not everybody's daddy. You don't have to be. You can draw boundaries. And as you and I pray, we can do that. Thirdly, he exercised relational boundaries. This might be the most controversial, right? Jesus is teaching. Imagine doing this with your mama uh, and brothers. He's teaching, and they presume the right of interruption, you know, and they basically probably say, go on and tell him to stop doing that and come out and talk to us. And Jesus, you know, could have said, just wait a second. This is what Jesus says. You read it. Who is my mother and brother? It's you. It's the people that do the will of God. Now, even for an individualistic Westerner, that's offensive. Right? If you come from an Eastern culture, you're like, I can't believe that he said that. Not to mention that Jesus was the firstborn. Joseph, his earthly father, is dead. So he's got responsibilities. Plus, you know, you got the Ten Commandments, the honoring thing. And so there's a lot riding on this. What is Jesus doing here? Well, it's true. He had a unique role as the Son of God. There was always this rub between his family. We read about it last week when he's a boy in the temple and he decides to spend time there. And his parents are like, why did you totally leave us? Where were you? And he goes, didn't you know I had to be with God? You find it in his first miracle where Mary says, Jesus, come here. They're out of wine. Can you do something about this? And he's like, woman, why do you? Right, 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 right. He rebuffs Mary. He has to rebuff his family because the ones closest to him had the temptation to only see Jesus through flesh and blood. Not the eyes of faith. So he did say that. But you know, as sons and daughters of God, if you profess to be a follower of Jesus here, you will have to do the same thing. You know, there's a great quote. I think I've mentioned it before. I love it. That leadership is disappointing people at a rate they can absorb. Did you catch that? Leadership is disappointing people at a rate they can absorb. Anybody that as a follower of Christ, you're going to have to do that. And it's going to be the people closest to you at times. You're going to have to disappoint them, whether it's a best friend, a sibling, in-laws, parents, because God calls us to have boundaries. If you're not disappointing people, you have no boundaries in your life. And what it does, right, it casts us back on this stuff we're talking about. Is my sonship, is my confidence really in God's love for me? Is it in God's will for me? Do I have the courage to say, you know, I can't really do that. 
And can I be the one to ask the question after I pray, am I the one that should do this? Does this actually need done? Does someone else need to do this? Lastly, Jesus understood emotional boundaries. For some of us, this is the greatest challenge for many of us. Uh, Maybe you were raised within a home or a culture where you were just called to keep things within. Maybe when you expressed need, you got disdain and someone said, stop whining. Maybe you're very uncomfortable with showing need to people. Uh, Here we are at Jesus' greatest trial, right before he'll be crucified. And I want you to notice he needed to unburden himself emotionally. He didn't want all the disciples there. He wanted just three, so he had boundaries even there. But he said, please don't leave me. And then we heard it read, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death remain here. He needs people near him. He needs to unload the emotional burden. This is the perfect son of God. Why? Because he's human. Not because he's sinful. Not because he messed up. Not because he's not trusting God. Sharing our weakness is not a sin. Unburdening your heart to someone is not a sin. It's what we do. And it wasn't just Jesus. The great apostle Paul once said this. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength I'll paraphrase, we wanted to die. He said we despaired of life. I mean, that's as far as you can go emotionally. I got so much on me, I don't even want to live. Even that we need to be able to bring to each other. He brought it to the people. So emotionally boundaries means not only that there are going to be some people that are going to have to say, "Uh, I'm sorry, we're done here. You know, I'm sorry, you know, maybe, maybe it's uh, the way you're speaking to me, the way you're not observing that I've asked we can have this conversation cease. The ground rules we laid out, maybe it's that, but it also works in reverse. That you need to know you cannot handle it alone. That's just, it's impossible. You will not make it if you're trying to carry your own emotional freight. And the good news is we don't have to do that. We're the body of Christ. And so, these are four, I think, practical areas where Jesus gives us permission to have boundaries. Next week, we'll talk a little bit about priorities. Let's pray. We thank you for coming in the flesh. Thank you for what you modeled. Thank you for what you want to give us in freedom.